Hello and welcome back to Oro Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. Well, if you've been listening to Oro Valley Catholic for any time at all, you know I love to read. And I just finished a book by Tara Isabella Burton entitled Self-Made, Creating Our Identities from Da Vinci to the Kardashians. And the idea of the book is about self-creation, the idea that I make myself and it goes back to the Renaissance, you know, as the Middle Ages kind of closes and people shift from a communal understanding to uh, the superstar, Michelangelo, and others that, that Burton talks about. And the idea of how they curate their image, how they get their image painted, or they make self-portraits of themselves, which is really not um, a feature of art prior to the Renaissance, the idea that I'd want to know what the artist Albrecht Durer looked like. It, you start to see it in uh, late medieval paintings and uh, early Renaissance paintings where artists start to paint themselves into the image. The artist becomes part of the art. Well, in doing so, there's some self-promotion going on there. You know, with Gregorian chant, we there's really no, until very late in the Middle Ages, no one takes credit for Gregorian chant. Um, icons, Greek icons, no one signs them, so you don't know who the artist is unless there's some tradition or provenance that goes with the art. But we become used to the, time, to the whole sense of self-promotion. And the book, Self-Made, is about that. You remember previously I'd read a book uh, by her called Strange Rites, which was, what happens to young people when they leave Christianity? Do they become atheists? And overwhelmingly, the answer is no. They just go into these weird little online communities um, where there's just like a, a sense of community and a common uh, sense of concern. But the idea of self-made is the individual part of that community because, you know, to be in community, you have to be an individual in community. So she talks about how we go from the Renaissance to, say, the 19th century, and what she calls the aristocratic and the democratic um, experiences of being self-made. So, for instance, the aristocratic uh, would be someone like Prince Albert or Queen Victoria, or uh, the best example, Oscar Wilde, known for being nothing more well. He was a very talented writer, known for being Oscar Wilde. He would start fads by wearing this arsenic-tinted carnation, which apparently turns carnations green. And soon all the young dandies in London are, um, are wearing green carnations. Actresses like Sarah Bernhardt, where a celebrity starts to find its roots, which, of course, will become much bigger in the 20th century, especially in the Hollywood celebrity culture. So that would be like the aristocratic idea of self-made, where you're known for your sophistication and your, and your um, you know, great comebacks and your wit and all of that. But in what she calls the democratic idea of being self-made, she thinks of people like Benjamin Franklin and Frederick Douglass, the great um, ex-slave abolitionist leader, and their idea of being self-made, which is much more common with how Americans think about things, is, you know, you work hard, uh, you improve your mind, you improve your vocabulary, you try to accomplish something, and, and you're seen as a success because of your accomplishments. 
Um, there are some very good and positive qualities go, to go with that kind of self-improvement. Um, you know, be all you can be. And there's some downsides to that too, but it's different than dress up in very fancy clothes and be, in, be known in the newspaper for having said something funny at Lady Windermere's party. Um, not the same idea, but the same basic instinct. Um, you become known because you acquire these traits for which you become famous. Then she talks about Hollywood celebrity culture, and she starts with the idea that the early motion pictures didn't even name who the actors were until a promoter got on to that people wanted to know the names of the actors because they saw them on these movies, there's a connection, they just wanted to know what their names were, maybe something about them. This is the beginning of celebrity culture. So she says the first big, quote, it girl, end quote, is Clara Bow, who you may have heard of. She was a silent film star. And it's tough, I think, to look back to the 20s and early 30s and understand why these people were famous. And that's true pretty much of Hollywood celebrity culture, which is kind of, I think, still entrances people, but at the same time has kind of burned itself out. All of this is, gets tiresome. And what she points out about Hollywood celebrity culture, which I think you and I are very familiar with, is the difference between who people are represented to be for the public and who they are in private. Um, a really good example would be Rock Hudson, who is the ladies' man, the most handsome guy in the world. Um, but, you know, as a gay, uh, never really had a satisfying relationship with a woman, you know, as a, a male-female relationship. But if that had become known during the 50s and the 60s in his heyday, it would have killed his career. That's why they had to cultivate his public persona and his private persona. And I think there's just lots of examples of that, um, which is the downside of this understanding of self-creation. What happens when you create a persona which is so disconnected from who you really are um, that you're always afraid that someone will find you out? I think... That can be part of everybody's life because everyone's very concerned with how other people think about them, I think, until maybe you get to a certain age and level of maturity where just being who you are is good enough. But Kurt, uh, what Burton says in the book is, is what happens is uh, when reality TV hits, and reality TV is always in quotes, um, you're taking someone ostensibly as a real person, but they're really just a manufactured uh, manufactured entity. And she points out Kim Kardashian and the whole Kardashian family um, as being basically famous for uh, just being famous. You have no idea what uh, they did. She told the story of Kim Kardashian's sex tape, which had been made pre five years, I think she said, prior to the time that it had been released. And the Kardashian family objected and sued about its release because they didn't have any, uh, they did not uh, authorize the relief, uh, release, although Burton uh, is very suggestive that in fact they were behind it. And the protests were just to separate Kim Kardashian from any backlash for being a pornographer, which is what, she, you know, that tape is. Uh, and, and they ended up getting paid $5 million for uh, uh, selling their uh, basically porn film to the public. 
Um, and then she goes from Kim Kardashian, Paris Hilton, and Kim Kardashian apparently used to be Paris Hilton's. I didn't know any of this. Uh, uh, private secretary or valet or maid or uh, a personal assistant, uh, maybe all of the above. I, I really don't know what that relationship's like. But uh, Kardashian gets the idea of becoming super famous by watching how Paris Hilton does it. Uh, and neither one of them have any particular talents that, that I can discern, my personal opinion. But uh, then all the people that are now social influencers on, um, on YouTube uh, and uh, will get uh, free products because when they um, show you the product on YouTube, then it's like uh, marketing. Uh, the, the manufacturer of the product gets some sales. I know that I look at some things and people are saying, if you like this, just go to this website, buy it, make sure you put in this logo. Uh, so they'll, you'll get your 10% off, which also is telling the company that the uh, celebrity in, uh, in, influencer, if you can use that phrase for YouTube personalities, um, is the one who made the sale. And so she like, draws a line how this goes from the renaissance of like uh, Leonardo da Vinci, who was a self-promoter, all the way down to um, YouTube. Uh, and that this becomes simply part of, of capitalism. And she sees the value in it in the sense that, well, you know, uh, you should be able to improve yourself. You shouldn't be constrained just because you're born into this family or that from being as good as you can be. But she also points out what I think all of us pick up about it is that there's this artificiality about it, this phoniness about it. You know, our society seems to be, it seems to me, to be obsessed with the idea of self-esteem. I know I have said that, and everybody listening to this podcast knows exactly what I mean. Um, we're all encouraged to have good self-esteem, and there is a positive point about that. I mean, to think well about yourself um, and actually have reasons for thinking well about yourself, and when you see things that you do wrong, to correct them, and then you know, the idea that you could actually do something positive in your life to make your life better than it is for the betterment of other people, I would say, not just for your own self-aggrandizement, because self-esteem, what's it aimed for, is what I think I would point out. But what I'd like you to consider is the relationship between self-esteem and how the things you do to make yourself better, whether it's losing weight or controlling what you eat or all of the things that we're told to go to the gym for or to, um, you know, why it is we have these political opinions and not those political opinions, whatever, however you conceive of it. The relationship between how other people think about you and how you really are. Because that's the difference between self-esteem or, or an aspect of self-esteem and the Christian virtue of humility. If self-esteem is how you feel about yourself, humility is about how you fit in to the larger world, starting with God and neighbor, and that your sense of worth comes from that God loves you. And because God loves you, you love yourself even with your flaws, and in doing so, you learn to love other people with their flaws. That seems to me to be much more firmly rooted in the reality of God and the human condition and the idea is that you can make yourself up, uh, get this plastic surgery, go to the gym, uh, you drive this car, have that job. Humility has a lot more about who we are 
and as people and our ultimate claim to happiness and self-esteem ever will. And it's all about whether or not we're self-made or we cooperate with God in becoming who God made us to be. Because it's not the same thing, and that's what the readings this Sunday are about. So let's turn to the readings for the 14th Sunday of Ordinary Time. So the readings for the 14th Sunday of Ordinary Time are very much about knowing who you are in relationship to God and one another. And it starts with the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9. And interestingly, it's about the humility of the Messiah, the one who is the promised heir to King David. And when we think of the Messiah, we always think of Jesus, right? Because he is the Messiah. And so here's the passage from Zechariah that we start out the Liturgy of the Word with uh, on the 14th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Thus says the Lord, Rejoice heartily, O daughter Zion. Shout for joy, O daughter Jerusalem. See your king shall come to you, a just savior is he, meek and riding on an ass, on a colt, the foal of an ass. She'll banish the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The warrior's bowl shall be banished, and he shall proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, and so the Messiah, it's interesting, banished the chariot from Ephraim, that's the northern ten tribes, which were destroyed by the time Zechariah was written. So it's that the northern ten will be destroyed and they will be recovered from war. And then banish the horse, think of cavalry, uh, from Jerusalem, um, which is the southern part of the Israelite nation. And so uh, Jerusalem is considered the daughter of God, and God sends the Messiah to, to uh, save his people. And so that's where the psalm picks it up, Psalm 145. And part of the psalm, which is written probably in uh, not much before Zechariah, it says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. The Lord is good to all and compassionate towards all his works. And then the refrain, I will praise your, never, your name forever, my King and my God. Because the Messiah is the King and the Messiah is God. And so it's God that brings peace. I don't think this is a surprise to any listeners of uh, Oro Valley Catholic. But to uh, get that is to understand the background of what the gospel is, that the Messiah is God among us, um, and that Jesus in his humility speaks about the nature of humility, which is about knowing God, the nature of salvation, and our role in the world. And so here's the gospel and it's from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. At that time, Jesus exclaimed, I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you've revealed them to little ones. Yes, Father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, that goes back to the Old Testament. The yoke is the wisdom of God. But you know, the key thing about a yoke is it's built for two. And so... 
uh, usually about two animals, two oxen. And so as we think about the gospel and humility, humility is about relationship because what modern culture forgets when it talks about self-esteem is um, that we are dependent animals, rational dependent animals, uh, and that we need each other. When do you really think that in our celebrity culture, in uh, influencer culture, uh, that really it's open to everybody, uh, that the idea of it is if you'll just get on there and do something slightly more ridiculous on YouTube than someone else does, then you'll be more worthy of other people's attention. Because in the self, that kind of distorted view of self-esteem or being self-made, it's whether or not other people recognize your superiority, even if it's for 15 minutes of fame, as I think Andy Warhol had said that. You know, the idea of a culture where we just do crazy things to try, try to get people's attention, or really bad things too, like school shootings. I met a psychiatrist once and he explained to me that people, everybody wants attention. Uh, and some people find attention from getting A's on the report cards. For people who um, have trouble getting A's on the report cards, they find attention by behaving badly in class because attention for bad behavior is better than no attention, attention at all. How do we draw notice to ourselves? Well, that's the problem of self-esteem. It seems to be at least part of the problem in a distorted understanding of self-esteem. But humility is recognizing who we are in relationship to God. We are one of the little ones that Jesus refers to in the gospel and that he has brought us into his confidence. In fact, in the gospel of John, he'll call us friends, not slaves, because he has talked to us about this relationship with his father that we're invited into. And we're invited into because we pick up our cross just like Jesus picks up his cross. You know, it just, it seems to me if you look at celebrity culture, and just think back through all the people that uh, Ms. Burton has talked about in her book, from uh, Leonardo da Vinci and Albert Durer in the Renaissance, uh, through celebrity culture, any of those people, um, and then uh, through social media influencers. Uh, do they really become famous because they care about the poorest and the weakest? Uh, there are some that get very involved in social causes, right? Um, but I would say also that they get a lot of um, publicity for social causes. You always ask yourself, uh, do they do it because it's good for business? Or is it a matter of uh, their real concern for other people? You can't really know, and you really have to trust to the goodness of all these individuals that exist behind these public self-images. But remember how Jesus counsels us. Uh, he tells us uh, that when we pray, go into room, close the door, and pray to God in secret, uh, who hears us in secret and knows us uh, and will come to us. Or people who give alms. He says, uh, don't blow horns in marketplaces about your good works. Just do it. And the God who sees in secret knows. And when you do things to try to improve yourself, maybe it's controlling eating or going to the gym, um, there's no point in, in uh, trumpeting that. You do that because it's good for you and it's good for how it is that you take care of the gift of your body that God has given you. So what's the basis of humility versus self-esteem? In the conclusion of Oral Valley Catholic, I'd like to turn to um, 
two aspects of humility. One is about knowing, and the other is about this yoke built for two. So let's bring all of this together uh, now. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about the Father knows me and I know him, and um, he tells us about him. He's revealed to the little ones, the ones that don't count. It's not necessarily the people who are impoverished because most of the guys he called to be his followers actually had daytime jobs and seemed to be doing okay. They were not people without accomplishments in their time and place and culture. Um, but they were little because none of them counted in the big picture uh, in Israel. The problem of American self-esteem is everybody wants to be somebody. Everybody wants to be a celebrity, be looked up to. And so what Burton said in her introduction to the book, Self-Made, is that when people quit believing in God, it's not that God left. It's that individuals took God's place. And so that in the cult of self-esteem, one of the temptations in it, one of the dark things in it, is the desire uh, to be worshipped by others, to be held in high self-esteem uh, by others. And I think it doesn't take a lot of imagination to look out in American culture and recognize people that have portrayed themselves one way publicly um, while behind the scenes something really much darker was going on. John F. Kennedy, a Catholic, is a really good example of it. He had a beautiful wife, Jackie uh, Kennedy, uh, but apparently was a serially unfaithful to her. Um, but again, there's something about a public cult of John Kennedy as this pious war hero, the PT-109, if you ever saw the movie. Um, and the reality is just something different. His, uh, his administration was anything but uh, really accomplished a lot, though it, I think he tried to have high aspirations for it. But self-esteem, the dichotomy between who we, how we want to be seen and how we really are. And so knowing, this is part of humility, knowing God and knowing yourself in relationship to God. So what I'd say is, like for sexual sin, uh, understanding that a sexual sin is like playing whack-a-mole. There's so many aspects to it. But there is one goal for human sexuality, and that's chastity, and that is justice and loving. Gluttony, there's lots of ways to be a glutton, abusing alcohol, abusing food, um, it's an inordinate love of uh, filling ourselves. Um, but self-control is about care for our physical well-being and that we don't use food and alcohol uh, to meet uh, needs that really can only be met by God in prayer, fasting, and care for the poor. It's the idea that in knowing God, we learn how to fill up the empty spaces in our lives. You know, when we look at who God is and why God is God, it's because Jesus forgives, Jesus heals, Jesus uh, counsels us to how it is that we live God in our life through faith, hope, and charity. And that the prayer that Jesus uttered in the gospel today, that prayer of thanksgiving, where he turns to God in front of his disciples, I give praise to you, God of heaven and earth, because what is concealed from the rich and the famous uh, you've revealed to the simple ones. Um, and that is when you substitute yourself for God, then what does God really have to offer you? If you have no interest in humility, 
You'd rather choose to make up your own reality. Um, that prayer where Jesus' hidden identity is God in this tri Trinitarian relationship of God, Father, Holy Spirit, this is a hidden reality that says this is the basis of all existence and to participate in love and to love is to participate in God. And when you disconnect from that, you are fundamentally disconnecting from your ground of being. Um, you know, Jesus spends a lot of time trying to counsel us how to think about God correctly. I'm not God, Zeus isn't God, Aphrodite isn't God, no human being gets worshiped. Um, and uh, no state or government gets worshiped. No political party gets worshiped. It's about false worship. Learning to love God is learning something about who God is. And we can say we know who God is. Jesus says uh, to Peter, uh, who do people say that I am? You remember the story. Uh, and he, Peter answers, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And that's why the scriptures say when you can affirm that only Christ is the only person that ever has appeared in history that is worthy of worship, um, you said a lot about all the false gods in the world. That's why knowing the truth about God and resisting false gods is necessary to salvation and the participation in the great virtue of humility. And then the second part where Jesus says, um, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. A yoke is for farm animals, generally two farm animals. It goes along with Jesus' statement from last week, unless you pick up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. When we endure our sufferings, our senses of inadequacy, all the dark stuff that oppresses all of us, um, we're carrying the cross with Jesus because these are the sins that Jesus carries. If you've ever felt so completely annoyed um, and hurt, by the sinfulness of the world around you. Then when you look into the holy face of Jesus and you see that same pain, you see how you participate in the sorrow of God. So partly humility, or fundamentally I should say humility, is understanding that God's my creator and in responding to God and how he made me, this is who I am. To think that I can make myself separate from God, this is, the temptation that Burton talks about in her book, Self Made. It's why people go off in all these weird cults when they quit believing uh, in Christ. Um, and so to yoke yourself to Christ is to yoke yourself to the gospel, an understanding of God which undermines celebrity culture, worship of governments and politics, and instead to recognize there's so much that we endure uh, as we are uh, yoked to God. So um, that first reading from Zechariah, uh, and I'll read back to you as a conclusion of this Oral Valley Catholic, and it's about what real humility brings into our life and when we resist all these false bases uh, for uh, really distorted understandings of our self-worth or self-esteem. Humility ties us to God reality of ourselves and one another. And so Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on an ass, on a colt, the foal of an ass. King of kings, the Lord of lords, not on a huge white charger, but he comes to us humbly as just a working man. 
because he came for people like you and me. We get up in the morning, we do our jobs, we care for our families and the people God gives us each day. Um, not a lot of us, not a lot of accolades come our way that really helps us, right? Uh, we're not trying to get this really cultivate uh, notoriety. We learn humility because we learn how we fit into the world. We learn this isn't uh, our story. This is God's story. God is the hero of the Bible. God is the hero of the church. God is the hero of our lives. He calls us friends because he calls us to walk with him. And so we share the yoke and we do it as friends because we know what he's about. And so I really like the book by Burton. I, I like her writing in general. She's a very unique author. She's not a Catholic, but she really does have a wonderful perspective on life. And so if you're looking for a good summer read, self-made, it's not depressing at all. I thought what was really interesting about it in closing is that if you go to Amazon and you look for the book Self-Made, right next to it is this workbook that says Self-Made, how it is that you work with Terry Isabella Burton's book, uh, Self-Made. Um, and so that you can learn the tricks of making yourself. Burton is very critical of the celebrity culture and how devastating it is in people's lives, how it hurts young women on life, things like this. But the workbook, it's like it never even read the book by Burton and instead will show you all the steps to go to to get noticed on YouTube and become an influencer. Um, and I guess that's the, the world we're stuck with, that uh, you can speak the truth, you can show the dark side of things, but if all you want is people to notice you, well, holy moly, uh, what well, you won't do to get attention, even if it's bad attention. So who needs that? What we do need is God's attention and to know he's with us and that we share that with all the poor in our lives. Um, God bless you. This has been another uh, episode of Oral Valley Catholic.